Hello, I'm James Foey. Joining me is Claire White. Hello. And this is Dragons, Sexy Robots and Adventures, a Nerd Manual. We are here to discuss new and old nerd creations, how they were made, and explore the roots of the characters and stories. Today, we are talking about Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel is the story of Carol Danvers, a human with superpowers and amnesia who fights in space for the Kree Empire against the Skrulls. A mission mistakenly leads her back to Earth, where she learns there might be more to her past than she thought. Captain Marvel is the 21st film in the Marvel franchise and the first Marvel film with a woman in the lead part. It was released on March 8, 2019, and stars Brie Larson, Samuel L. Jackson, Annette Benning, Jude Law, Ben Mendelsohn, Gemma Chan, and Lashana Lynch. It is directed by the husband and wife duo, Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, and is based on the comics by Kelly Sue DeConnick. Hey. James will be talking about the history of Captain Marvel. Yes, well, not really Captain Marvel so much as the character of Carol Danvers. Okay, and I will be talking about why Captain Marvel is the first female superhero and why why Marvel chose her. So, James, tell me about Carol Danvers. <laughs> well, Carol Danvers first appears in a Captain Marvel comic. And Captain Marvel's comic at that time was called Marvel Superheroes, and it was issue number 13 in March 1968. It was written by Roy Thomas with art by Gene Colan. Now, this is a Stan Lee character, Captain Marvel, and he is a Cree alien who is a spy on Earth who then, like a diplomat that falls in love with the people of the country he's stationed in, begins to identify mm. with the people of Earth. So, And why is he Marvel? He's Marvel because Marvel Comics wanted to hold on and trademark the name Marvel. And so to protect their trademark, they needed to come up with a character that used that name. <laughs> um, which we won't get into uh, the character of Shazam that was a Fawcett comic character then acquired by DC Comics. But just so you know, Marvel wins that trademark battle. And that's why that new movie with uh, Shazam will be called that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, this Cree works with a bunch of humans on an Air Force base. One of them is Air Force officer and security chief Carol Danvers. Oh, I thought she was a secretary. Okay. No. No, this is great. No, I, 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 yeah, unless I got my information wrong. I mean, I th think— No, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, his, In my head, I had reworked her to secretary. Yeah, well, <laughs> how dare you? Also, uh, the name of um, Captain Marvel in his human alias was Walter Lawson. So just real quick on, on Marvel, never that popular. There was a niche crowd that really liked him, but I think I can say fairly to him that the two most important things he ever did were to share his powers with Carol Danvers and to die. So <laughs> he, he had his best story in The Death of Captain Marvel in 1982. But before that happened, he had protected Carol Danvers from an explosion of a Cree device that was uh, uh, called a psych magnetron, uh, mm. which had been detonated by an evil Cree commander we won't get into, but of which you will see more of in the future. <laughs> so anyway, this device explodes and he shields her and somehow it imparts his genetics onto her so that she becomes a, quote, perfect Cree human hybrid, and she gets his powers, and he was a very special Cree. So 
her powers, which I think are important to talk about because the movie assumes that you either know them already or it'll just be obvious. She has super strength and stamina. She has the power of flight. She has powers of invulnerability and regeneration. Hard to hurt her, if, and if you do, she bounces back. She also has no need to breathe in space because of her energy manipulation powers. Not sure how it works, but it's really cool. <laughs> also, she can fire and absorb energy and... She has a seventh sense, premonitions of danger. She sounds awesome. Yeah, in fact, maybe OP. I was going to say a little OP. (laughs) If we were all picking superheroes in a game and I was Captain Marvel, I've got an edge, (laughs) a very strong one. By seventh sense, you don't mean sixth sense? No, I mean seventh. The Kree have a seventh sense, and she gets that. I don't know if the Kree have a sixth sense, but she doesn't get that one. (laughs) She has senses one, two, three, four, five. And seven. seven. Or maybe she has a six. I don't know. It's not, uh, you know. Anyway, she gets her own comic in 1977, and it runs for 23 issues from 1977 to 1979. It's written by Jerry Conway and John Buscema. Now, I I just want to say that the reason this is created is uh, from a motive similar to we talked about in our Luke Cage episode, how Luke Cage was created in an era of black exploitation. And Iron Fist was created in the era of kung fu movies being a mm-hmm. craze. And Marvel said, I want a piece of that money. And sure, black people are great, but I want a piece of that money. <laughs> and they didn't have black people write Luke Cage. They had white men write Luke Cage. Well, feminism was a big thing in the 70s. There was a feminist movement, and they said, we'd love to be a part of that. Sure, that movement's great. Let's have some white men write about it. And that was Ms. Marvel. Now, It really was trying to capitalize on the feminist movement in an over-the-top way. Uh, So it led to some nice things where you have a character, Carol Danvers now is not in the Air Force. She's the editor of Woman magazine, Mm -hmm. and she is fighting for things like equal pay for equal work. That's nice. Yeah, it is nice. So she's doing that. She's a reporter, and her powers work in such a way that when there's danger, she just transforms into Ms. Marvel with all the powers that her late friend shared with her when he was right. protecting her from that explosion. Doesn't have She doesn't have control over it, she though, right? She does not. Right. This is an important thing. Her losing her memories and her not really fully having control of her powers is a theme you will see throughout her decades-long history, and which knowing that will help you for the movie and how that is true to her, even if— well, whatever your feelings are on that. Anyway, those writers and artists that I mentioned, they're only there for the first couple issues. Chris Claremont of X-Men and many other things fame takes over after that. And the artist David Cockrum takes over on issue number nine. Now, that's a little important to mention because one of the biggest things you can look at for how um, having a company that is not a feminist company but wants to monetize a feminist idea, right? And an, and a non in a non-feminist industry. So they have this character that is, like I said, like hitting it right on the nose. This is a feminist character for you, but the way that she's dressed might belie that. She's not wearing any pants, uh, like Captain Marvel did. She's just wearing boots. She's wearing the traditional superhero underwear mm-hmm. pants. And then she's wearing a top which uh, has a big old triangle cut out right up to her breast that exposes her belly and navel. Like you do. Like you do. When David Cockrum comes on in issue number nine, he covers her navel up. That's the first thing he does. By issue 20, he's come up with his own costume idea for her, which she would wear for the decades after that, up until the new and now iconic costume that you're seeing in the movies that's from the Kelly Sue DeConnick comic. That costume, traditional Captain Marvel, the one that I saw, well, Ms. Marvel, 
that I saw her in when I was in high school and first saw her as a character is boots that are taking up a lot of that leg that she is still showing all of. Those are high-heeled boots. She's wearing a black leotard with a lightning bolt down it and a mask. And originally, she used to wear a scarf around her neck, a little, little fashionable scarf thrown over the shoulder. She starts wearing it as a sash around her non-pants waist. Right. Yeah. So... He only, Claremont only has uh, so many issues with her. He does a monster of the week thing that eventually leads to her being able to control her own powers, keeping her memories mm-hmm. and discovering how much of a hero she is. Able can to have be. her own agenda. Yeah. And um, also able to have a personal life that's a part of it too, not just the monster of the week thing, which is very Marvel, balancing your hero life and, and yeah, your personal life. It's very life. superhero. Yes, yes. That continues on. In, in other things as well, which which we'll talk about when she gets her own runs again. For most, if not half, of her uh, career as a character, she doesn't have her own comic, though. And that's true for the 80s, the 90s, and the early 2000s. And some really big things happen with her character, which I want to talk about in that time. One of which was spoken about um, in last episode by Kyle. But it's something that's so big that you can't talk about the history of her as a character without mentioning it. So right after they do this feminist icon character, and in part also for trademark reasons, mm-hmm. <laughs> for money off of- Feminist fem- and trademark reasons. Feminist and trademark reasons, just like with Captain Marvel, they put her in Avengers number 200. This is the year after her own comic run ended in 1980. Avengers 200 was written by Bob Layton, David Michelini, George Perez, and Jim Shooter. Now, George Perez here is a little ironic to me considering how much credit we gave him on our Wonder Wonder Woman episode a long time ago for writing a really great Wonder Woman arc. But in this comic, we have what is referred to as the Rape of Ms. Marvel, where a character uses mind control to seduce her and impregnate her with himself, tells the Avengers about it. They're pretty cool with it, even though he says he used a mind control machine to seduce her, and they let her, they let him take off with her. I'm not going to go too much more into it than that, since Kyle already did talk about it, but you have to mention it. It's the very first big thing that happens to her after she loses her own comic, and that's with their feminist icon character. So... After that happens, Chris Claremont comes in and writes a a vitriolic uh, retort to it, to the Avengers in the comic, but in a way also to the editors that had allowed that to take place to a character that he had spent the most time writing of anyone. Right after that happens, she stops being in the Avengers orbit, and she goes into the X-Men orbit with all of Claremont's other Mm -hmm. favorite people. I didn't realize that he had written her earlier. So I knew that he came back in and that she gave the Avengers a piece of her mind in the comic. For what they let have happen to her. But it makes so much sense that this is his character and you guys did, excuse me, what? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Keep going. It's very interesting. So recurring theme for her that, you you know, you've seen in movie trailers for Captain Marvel and we'll uh, see in the comics later as well. She loses her memories. Now, we already had the thing that she didn't keep memories from going to Ms. Marvel to Carol Danvers originally, Mm -hmm. right? That has been solved, but now there's a new thing where Rogue, the X-Man, steals her powers using her mutant abilities and also takes her memories. So she doesn't know who she is and she doesn't have her powers. This is where it becomes really important how big being a pilot 
is as a part of her identity because she's still able to help superheroes and be a hero. So she's no longer the editor at the magazine no. at this point. Yes, and she's no longer Ms. Marvel, really. She's Carol Danvers' hotshot pilot who helps out the X-Men mm-hmm. and sometimes secret agent for them. So she can still do things without her powers. She then gets even more superpowers when aliens experiment on her. She's always having interactions with aliens, some traumatizing and awful, and some giving her powers. This is the latter. And she gets the most power she's ever had, the power of a sun. This is actually where her energy absorption and uh, manipulation powers come from that you'll see she has later. She retains those even after she loses the power to channel a sun, right? Now, I, I mention this because when she becomes Warbird, it's after she loses the powers of a sun from when she was called Binary, And as Warbird in the 90s, Marvel decided to have her uh, have a very typical dark 90s tone and theme where the loss of that great power depressed her to the point that she turned to drink and became an alcoholic. Okay. So we're coming out of that and with that as a tone of her and her history and her background when she finally gets her own series again, this time written by Brian Reed. And she has it from 2006 to 2009 – 50-issue run that Brian Reed writes all of. And this is actually pretty impressive for a character to get that's not Spider-Man or someone like that. Mm-hmm. To, to last. It's a long run. Yeah. It is. And it's more than twice as long as her original run. Now, in an interview with News Was Around, it to keep the name, the trademark? <laughs> no, I think at this time they had, they'd fully won that. In 2009... Sales were dipping a bit and they were finishing it off. But Newsarama did an interview with Brian Reed about the success of the series and about how he was concluding it and the finale that had happened. And they asked him about its success and they said it's really impressive, especially for a female character to be able to have her own comic for this long. And they and he said, you know, in part, I think it was because she was female. He said that he had met a lot of people that said they bought the comic for their girlfriends. Um, but also he said more than that – He thought the thing that resonated with fans was that Carol Danvers was a character who knew she was flawed but was always trying to be her best self Mm -hmm. and would never stop trying to be her best self. And that one of his favorite moments in the whole arc that he had written was midway through when she realized that she wasn't just a superhero. she She was a soldier and that she could help people even more so by using that experience as well. That's very cool. Yes. The final arc of that, and this relates to what was done with her after and what I think also Kelly Sue DeConnick was trying to do with her own twist, is that he said at the end of the comic he wanted her to be in a place where before she was doubting herself and doubting her powers and her ability to help people, but that at the end, even if she doesn't know what to do, she doesn't doubt that she can save the day. So as a thematic arc, that relates right into the kind of thing that we're going to do with Kelly Sue DeConnick in 2012 when she gets a hold of the series and has artist Dexter Soy and costume design by Jamie McKelvey. Now, I'm going to try not to step on Claire's toes because I think this relates to the movie in a great deal, uh, which we'll do in the production segment since this is the comic that really inspired the take you'll see in theaters. But I just want to talk about some things they changed and what they kept the same from her before. First of all, what did they change? Well, she's really wearing clothes now. and So true. Yes, when we talk about this character that was created expressly with feminist intent, it, it, it's really important to look at what bar is set for a female character. I think that really comes into when we talk about our feelings on the movie, how low the bar is for how comic books treat a strong female feminist quote-unquote character. 
Mm-hmm. That costume where she's just fully clothed is immediately jarring in a good way and, and stands out and immediately becomes iconic because of how what a juxtaposition it is. Also, one of the things that people complained about and other people loved was that Kelly Sue DeConnick wanted to have an upbeat attitude for the character versus the depressed alcoholism of Warbird. And she wanted to show a character that was, yes, from the military, but like the military people she knew, was still capable of joy (laughs) and wanted to have the swagger and sparkle of someone like Chuck Yeager, you know, that's a part of her identity. That's who she is. One of the things that stayed the same, which I realized having seen the movie now and read more about the the other comics, was that she's a character who's deciding to be all that she can. You know, Mm -hmm. that's part of why she becomes Captain Marvel finally, not Ms. Marvel, and Mm -hmm. accepts her late friend's mantle. She's worthy of it and has to realize that about herself. Now, they are also using the old stuff of, oh, she's lost her memories and rediscovering yourself. Yeah, that's a pretty, you know, common comic trope. It is, it is. I think it also relates to something they like to do with her where she's so powerful and she has to learn it. Yeah. That's a recurring thing with her. Um, And, you know, it's also the personal life. One of the other big things that they did was, okay, yes, there's the superhero and there's the person, Carol Danvers. How do these interact? But what she brought to it was an emphasis on female friendships and a positive look at them. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Now, I just want to end with one more thing. I'm sure I'm over time now. I want to talk about what makes her special in Kelly Sue DeConnick's eyes. She had a conversation with Kevin Feige where he was pressing her for that. And she said that you know, she always gets back up. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Feige said, well, you know, we already have that in Captain America, you know, that quote, I can do this all day. And she said, well, no, it's different because Captain America always gets back up because it's right. Carol always gets back up out of spite. <laughs> <laughs> and that She went on to say, quote, she knows she has a short temper. She knows she has a goofy sense of humor. But she's always going to try to do better, and you can't keep her down. The more you try to, the more defiantly she will go up. Yeah. And so I think that is a strong connection to the Brian Reed take in 2009 about what was special mm-hmm. about her, but even more enhanced with a focus that this, you know, uh, uh, reputed talented female writer could bring to it in her perspective. And I think that's a good handoff for your segment, right? Yeah, it is. That was so interesting, James. And I actually feel like I understand more about the movie because of it. We can get into that later. That secret, spoiler alert, that's what our podcast tries to do. I know. Look at you go. Look at you go. Oh, thanks. So I want to talk about why Captain Marvel is Marvel's first female superhero. Because I hadn't actually heard of her until they announced the movie. And I'm not a hardcore Marvel fan, but I feel like I've heard of a good number of Marvel characters that weren't in the movies. So let's start with female superheroes in movies. As soon as Black Widow showed up in The Avengers in 2012, there have been fans asking for her to have her own movie. And I read that in 2010, Kevin Feige mentioned that they were interested in doing a solo Black Widow film, but The Avengers was going to come first. And I remember that. I actually kind of do remember that. In 2013, uh, when Kevin Feige was asked if Black Widow would get her own film, he said maybe, and he pointed out that they had a lot of great female characters in the franchise. Uh, By the way, I should have mentioned this when I brought him up. Who is Kevin Feige? Kevin Feige is the head of Marvel Studios and kind of the voice for them as well. He 
makes a lot of decisions, and we talk about him a lot. Kyle does a great segment about him in our Avengers episode last year. So if mm-hmm. you want to know more about him, he's a fascinating person and has done a lot of great things for Marvel and for superhero movies in general. So my question is here, why so hesitant to make a Black Widow movie? Lots of girls love Marvel. Black Widow is awesome, right? Yep. Scarlett Johansson is a star. Yes, she and is. in fact, coming into the Avengers, I would say she was one of the biggest stars in the cast. She's one of the only names, really, when it starts mm-hmm. out. Exactly. The last Marvel superhero movie with a woman in the lead was a little movie called Electra, starring Jennifer Gardner. And the movie tanked. And there was this idea that audiences wouldn't come out to see females in leads in superhero films. Ignoring the fact, and we do mention this in our Wonder Woman episode, that action movies like Aliens, Hunger Games, Kill Bill, just to name a few, that do have female leads do incredibly well. You know what the secret is? Good movies? Yeah, just make a good movie. (laughs) Elektra just wasn't a good movie. In 2014, when the Sony emails leaked, do you remember that? You know— the, oh, yes. When North ta- Korea hacked them. Yes. And they were talking about the pay gap um, between women. A lot of stuff came out. One of the things that came out was a, uh email from the CEO of Marvel, Ike Perlmutter, and the CEO of Sony, Michael Linton, talking about how female lead superhero films didn't do well. They mentioned Catwoman, Elektra, and the Supergirl movie that came out in the 80s. Now, as many people have pointed out, they didn't mention any of the tanked male lead superhero films and how many male superhero films come out versus how many female superhero films come out. Yes. And there was this idea that the Marvel films were doing well. Women were coming to see them. Why take the risk? In an interview in 2013, Stan Lee said that while Black Widow would get her own movie— that women liked the Marvel movies as much as the guys. So even though Marvel would eventually get around to it, they didn't, they didn't have to knock themselves out to find a woman superhero. Mm. Why would they? In 2014, when Kevin Feige was announcing Marvel's plans for Phase 3, which we talk about in our other Marvel episodes, I'm not really going to go into it, but it's basically how Marvel structures the release of their movies, he announced that Black Panther and Captain Marvel would get their own movies. And he said that she'd been in development for a while, but Marvel had been just trying to work out what to do with her. And he also said that it took so long because for years he was fighting the idea that audiences wouldn't want to see a female-led film. And this was because of the stigma of earlier uh, women-led superhero films that I mentioned earlier, which came out 15 years ago. So this gets back to my question. Why Captain Marvel? And I want to say that I scoured the internet to find out why Marvel Studios picked Captain Marvel, a pretty unknown character, to be their first female superhero with her own movie. And then the answer is actually really obvious, but I just searched for it for forever. James, I love questions and podcasts. Who is Who are Marvel's most famous female characters? Uh, I would say that they are all X-Men. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Maybe, uh, what's her name? Fantastic Four? Oh, yeah. Sue Storm. Uh, Yes. Sue Storm. But she's still not as famous as even just, say, like Jean Grey Mm -hmm. or uh, Storm. Storm. Yeah. Marvel only recently got the film rights to its most famous characters when Disney acquired Fox five days ago. (laughs) Big moves. (laughs) Big moves. Uh, So they had to go off the beaten track if they were going to do a female-led superhero movie not about Black Widow. So, again, why Captain Marvel? Well, 
it goes back to the uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick run. The first issue, when it was released, sold out. Again, why? It's a pretty unknown comic book character. DeConnick, who, like the fake geek girls mentioned in our last episode, had to finance the marketing of the comic herself, really did an amazing job. One of the things she did was she started tagging pictures people posted that were related to the Captain Marvel comic book, hashtag Carol Corps, and fans caught on to it. And out of this came the Carol Corps, a small but dedicated group of fans. And they were very vocal about how much they loved the comic on the internet. And they were showing up en masse to fan conventions dressed as Carol Danvers. And think about it. This little comic is released that, you know, you're not pinning too much on. You're not giving any money to for marketing to. And then all these women are showing up to fan conventions dressed as Carol Danvers. They were helping fund charities for cats and um, because Carol has a cat. That she loves very much. In the comic. (laughs) Chewy in the comic. What's the name in the film? Goose. That's right. Goose. I read quite a few articles written by women who had been part of the Carol Corps, and many said it was the first time they saw a female superhero that they could identify with, one that just wasn't a pinup girl. And they said it was so exciting to find a group of women excited about the comics in a usually male-dominated field. They were connecting with other women who also loved comics. The Carol Corps became so influential that they were featured on the cover of Captain Marvel issue 17 in 2013, and they got to star in Captain Marvel and the Carol Corps, which was part of the Secret Wars arc. It's pretty unprecedented. I can't think of another instance where the fans got to be written into a comic book series. Oh, well, right off the jump like that, too. Yeah, right away. And I think they took Marvel by surprise. They weren't expecting this intense fandom. Eight weeks after Captain Marvel's comic book was released, Marvel had a script for the film. Wow. Mm-hmm. Little tidbit that I read is that um, DeConnick didn't think they were going to get past issue six. Mm-hmm. So seven and eight were a scramble. <laughs> <laughs> but it was doing so well that eight weeks in they have a script for the movie and she hasn't even figured out how am I going to finish the year of this comic. Right. You know? Well, the thing is, the Carol Corps was more influential in presence than in actual sales. Besides that first issue, the comic did okay, averaging about 20,000 copies per issue, and this is versus the 100,000 copies per issue that Spider-Man was selling. Hard bar. Yes, but again, like the fake geek girls mentioned, the numbers are weird because it doesn't include trades and digital sales. And I've read that females actually prefer buying their comics in trades. I know I certainly do. So... The numbers are a little bit skewed there. I also wonder about fans that maybe hadn't seen someone in comics that they could relate to before, so they're not used to going to comic shops, and it makes more sense to them when they're buying comics to buy digitally anyway. Right, and also they're uncomfortable in comic shops. I read so many women talking about how going into comic book shops, they're like, oh, are you buying something for your boyfriend? Oh, you know, the Archie comics are over there. I've also heard people say that, you know, thinking that girls are in comic shops to get attention. Since they're not usually in comic shops. That's why I go to comic book shops. I know, I know. The thing is also that the Carol Corps were actually more fans of Kelly Sue than they were of Carol Danvers. Her other comics, Pretty Deadly and Bitch Planet, which I now really do want to read, sold much better than Captain Marvel, um, especially after she left Captain Marvel. The sales of her, the comics she was continuing to write, stayed um, consistent while the Captain Marvel comics didn't do as well. 
But this left Captain Marvel as the most powerful superheroine in the Marvel Universe and the most famous one that they had the rights to, with an already dedicated fan base behind her. So, the movie gets made, comes out, and Captain Marvel has become a quote-unquote controversial movie with a lot of quote-unquote fan backlash. Like the Carol Corps, it's a very small but very vocal group. People are upset with the feminism in it. People don't think Brie Larson looks enough like a superhero and that she doesn't smile enough in the trailers and that she doesn't know enough about the character. They don't like that she's a feminist and an activist. She has been calling for more women and people of color to be reviewers on the press junkets. And trolls tried to review bomb the film on Rotten Tomatoes, which I want to talk briefly about because it's led to a very recent change on the site. Rotten Tomatoes, for those who don't know, is a site which shows a percentage for each film based on its accumulated critic score called the Tomato Meter. There's also audience scores, which don't affect the Tomato Meter, but are posted alongside the critics' reviews. In the past few years, certain groups of the public that object to the creator's views or the content of the films coming out have conducted review bombing campaigns. And usually they start before the movies are released in theaters, before they could have even have seen the films. Some of the films that have been targeted are The Last Jedi, Black Panther, and even the latest Star Wars movie, which doesn't come out till December 2019. We're all recording this in March 2019. And they were putting out reviews for it? Already, yes, on Rotten Tomatoes and Captain Marvel. On February 26th of this year, Rotten Tomatoes implemented a policy where users couldn't review a movie until it had been released. And they're talking about how they might implement verified reviews from ticket purchasers. So you're going to have to prove that you saw the movie, to review it. That's a fair thing, I think. <laughs> I think so, too. However, the joke, joke is on the trolls. The movie has made more than $900 million in ticket sales worldwide. It's the 10th biggest comic book movie release of all time, and it is expected to hit the billion-dollar mark next week. My goodness. It has a 78% on the tomato meter and an A cinema score. So I guess at the end of the day, Marvel must be pretty happy they made a female-led movie. I hope so. Are you about to say they're not? No, that's the end of my segment. (laughs) I was like, where are you going with this? They're not happy with a billion dollars. (laughs) Um, Wow. Wow. So now we get into our opinion segment. And remember, our last episode was about Ms. Marvel. Mm -hmm. So we're going to try and link Ms. Marvel and Captain Marvel. Ms. Marvel as... Kamala, Kamala Khan. Khan. Well, uh, Kamala Khan is the first Muslim character to get her own Marvel comic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you included DC and a lot of other major publishers, you she'd still be the first. And she's a female. Um, and it was part of a diversity initiative that was in counterbalance to a lot of the history of the industry, which we talked about in the last ep- in the last episode, mm-hmm. and is fighting against the kind of people that are review bombing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Captain Marvel. So there's that kind of diversity angle there too. And it's a link of these two characters Mm -hmm. of the mantle of Ms. Marvel and what it means. This feminist icon turned young Muslim girl. Right. And Kamala Khan is inspired by Captain Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. That's why she takes up the Ms. Marvel title because she loves Carol Danvers. Yes. In the story of it, Carol Danvers and her character of of Captain Marvel figure. Yeah. And And she becomes a bit of a mentor to Kamala. Yes. Who fangirls out. Why did we link them? 
Oh, well, I, yeah, I was, I, as I was just saying, um, it, it's part of a push that Marvel has made to both rectify some of its history and to reach new audiences, audiences that don't find themselves always welcomed into comic shops, as you were talking mm-hmm. about, and uh, who don't find characters that they can relate to as easily, who think comics are not for them. So I think it was nice of us. Well, it was nice for us to, like, consume uh, to pick Miss Marvel, because what we could have done is picked one of the first female superhero movies. We could have done Supergirl. Oh, my goodness. Um, or we could have done Elektra. And we could have talked about the difference between then and now, which could have been interesting. Um, but I think it was really lovely to, you know, look at, you know, this new initiative that Marvel was taking in, you know, 2011, 2012, the early teens, I guess you would call it. Which also, I mean, we talk about that as an entirely positive thing, but I think it's important to note that the uh, original intention behind Ms. Marvel was not, they were okay with putting out those feminist ideals in their comics. I don't think they disagreed with those things when they were writing equal pay for equal work, but they were still a company that didn't hire female writers. Right, and it's right? they still have a lot of problems now. And the reason that they were putting out comics about women and minorities was because more people were buying comics and people who wanted to see stories about themselves were women and minorities, so they wanted more sales. It is a business opportunity, and I find nothing wrong with the business opportunity, but I think we should look at it as what it is. They were monetizing the feminist movement the the same way that they were monetizing black exploitation and the idea that, oh, black people are getting their stories and people will buy Mm -hmm. it. Let's get in on that fad. And I think the, you know, the 2011 diversity initiative comes from a good place, but it also comes from a place that could get them a hunt, uh, you know, $1 billion in revenue. Right. If, if the fans weren't clamoring for it, they wouldn't have just done it. Right. People weren't pushing them to do it. There's They they don't just come out with right. that stuff. But it makes business sense to include mm-hmm. more consumers, even if some, some consumers have a problem with it. Right. It's a very small group and it doesn't really affect the sales. Did it make sense for us to link them? Of course. Yes. And I'm very happy we did. Have your view on these pieces changed having done all this research? Yes. Yes. Um, well, I guess this is, is this a time where we can start to talk about our thoughts on the movie and then get into how researching its production and history have, have shaped it now? Yeah, sure. What did you think? Of the movie? Yes. Um, it, um, I wanted it to be better. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of made me sad doing this research about, like, the history of this character and everything she was at times, but, you know, what she was held back from being and how long awaited this was, how glorious it could have been. A lot of pressure for a film. And when you don't make a lot of female superhero movies, (laughs) it puts more pressure on the few that you make. Uh, I I was disappointed. I I had a good time in the theater, but... Right. Um, I did enjoy being in the theater and, and I enjoyed the movie. It's a it's a perfectly fine superhero movie. It's better than most, in fact. I mean, the Marvel movies are all very good and held to a high standard, but I think that was my problem with it is that I have seen Marvel blow me away time and time again and how everything that comes out, it just seems like they just it's great. Well, I was so nervous. I've been talking about this with our friends over and over again about about trying to relate how I felt be enjoying Black Panther while black and then trying to understand how someone would understand Captain like enjoy Captain Marvel while being a woman and what I might 
be uh, missing in a disconnect there, mm-hmm. right? Like trying to trying to like, okay, yes, this movie's for everyone, but it's also especially for a group. Can I try to see and suss out how it is made and and how it achieves things for them too, right? Beyond just me as an audience member and. Uh, Really what I've concluded is that what what Captain Marvel is is what I was afraid Black Panther would be because I know there are groups out there that are out to trash a movie like Black Panther before it even comes out, Mm -hmm. you know? They did. They did, and they did. Um, And I know there are people out there who are going to love it no matter what because it is so needed, because it is water in a desert for representation, for getting to see yourself in the kinds of stories that you love and enjoy already, but getting to see you there. Um, And and so I was worried all leading up to that February that I was going to watch the worst people in the world say Black Panther was terrible and watch some fine folks lie to themselves and say it was good when it wasn't. And I was so gratified when Black Panther was awesome. You know? Mm -hmm. And I felt like Captain Marvel is in this place where I'm hearing some people say it's great and I'm like... Oh boy, I think you're starved for for good stuff for you, you know. Well, what I was saying before was that Wonder it's I don't want to compare it to Wonder Woman, but it's hard not to. When Wonder Woman came out, I loved it, but it was so imperfect. Mhm. And I thought Marvel is the more put together studio. Marvel is going to make it. The Miss Mar- uh, Captain Marvel is going to come out and it's going to be the that superhero movie that I've been waiting for. And they didn't. They made an okay movie. They tried to hammer home a lot of, like, bullet point you, feminist points, um, which didn't— A lot of you-go-girl attitude. Yeah, which didn't quite sit right for me. It felt really forced. I know some people loved it. It just—it felt forced to me. And it just—it didn't quite do it. I wanted the Thor Ragnarok of female-led superhero movies. I wanted the Guardians of the Galaxy 1 of female-led superhero movies where you walk in— and you're so shocked that they made it so good. And the thing is that Marvel has done that time and time and again to me. I really enjoyed Ant-Man and the Wasp. I would have settled for that. But it just feels like you couldn't do it for this. Yeah. Well, to, something I, I think that came up when we were talking about this with our friends, which I thought was a very good point we should repeat here and, and take credit for, <laughs> is that uh, this was their first crack at the character of Captain Marvel. The first two Thors aren't great and one of them is bad. Right. It took them three tries to put it together. And, and Ant-Man I mean, and the Wasp is the second one, although Ant-Man is good too. Um, And the right. thing is, like, I, I will certainly go back for every Captain Marvel movie. They have me. I'm going to watch them. Um, But I it felt like a machine had told the Marvel execs, this is everything that the women want to hear. So you make sure you get all of these sound bites in here. Yeah. And then they did. And just the music choices were really off to me. And here's, I'm sounding like I'm really down on the movie. I had a great time. Like, I had a good time watching it. I just, with the bar that Marvel has set, I wanted the best for Captain Marvel. Um, And I felt like I didn't get it. And it disappointed me because I thought they could do that. Um, Which maybe is unfair. I'm really excited to see the next take on it. I Mm -hmm. ended the movie um, excited to see her show up in Avengers. Oh, so excited. And to see what she's like in a Russo Brothers movie. Like, I like the character. And and something we should talk about, too, our, our sense of it having done our research. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of got who they were saying Carol Danvers is. I kind of got it in the movie. Oh, I got it. You keep getting back up because that was hammered oh, yeah, into that my wasn't, head. Yeah, but I didn't get the feeling of it like I wanted to. They, they did it— uh, 
And I, this- I got where they were trying to make that go until I read Kelly Sue DeConnick talking about it and read the comic. I wasn't getting it so much. This isn't quite to toot our own horn. I got more feels from you telling me what Kelly Sue DeConnick was trying to say or is saying than I got in the movie. Right. Which I think is a failure of the movie. Doing this research, it makes me really happy that this movie came out. It makes me happy that it's doing well. The character deserves it. The character has had really, really cool components for so long and has had good storytelling, but has also had to suffer through some stuff that she as a character never should have had to go through. And we should also mention, because I don't think we really got a chance to with the fake geek girls, I love Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan's room. Oh, my it's goodness. It's amazing. It's one of the best comics being – well, this, the writing staff just changed around, so I'm not so sure about the new run. But the original run by G. Willow Wilson is so good. And I highly rec- – just a great teenage story. And I recommend everyone check it out, even if you're not that into comics, even if you're not into superheroes. It's just a great story about a teenage girl who's awkward – and awesome. And I think it is worth reading the comics too for Captain Marvel because I think you can start to see what the buzz is about. So you can you you can feel better what they're trying to do in the movie when you go to see Carol Danvers. Although, you know, uh, I think it says in the, it shows it in the trailers that she's dealing with uh, memory issues as mm-hmm. she has many times in the characters life in the comics. Um, we had a friend who said she was excited to see Carol Danvers and felt like she couldn't see as much of her as she'd like because Carol doesn't know who she is, <laughs> you yeah. know. And uh, your brother pointed out, shout out to Aaron, that we don't know what her powers are. That's never fully explained. What which the is limits a, of Marvel. Yeah, which is a failure of the script. Yes, because uh, it's hard to know when a superhero is vulnerable and when the stakes are high if we don't get a sense of what their powers and the limitations of them are. Right. Our last question, would we recommend consuming these pieces together or separate? Oh, yeah. I think, yeah, we just started talking about that. I, I certainly would. I certainly would. Can read you them together? Yeah, read Kamala Khan's awesome story and understand when you see the movie that this is the great, great lady that she looks up to so much. Right. Yeah, together. You can do it together or separately. I really, I enjoyed both of them. So, yeah, see them all. And, and really, uh, see Kamala Khan, read Kamala Khan because it's just a great comic. And it's one of the best-selling Marvel comics. Speaking of how great comics do sell. And they just made a good comic. Yep. And it sold. Yes. It got a lot of press, too, for being the first Muslim superhero. But it was also good. Yes. Which is really important. You don't have to be nervous about it like I was worried about before Black Panther. (laughs) (laughs) And you won't be, you know, maybe as disappointed with how not knocking out of the park. Right. But at the end of the day, we do recommend people go see Captain Marvel for just, if you like a good superhero movie, it's a good time. Thank you all so much for listening. Once again, I'm James Foey. And I'm Claire White. And we are Dragons, Sexy Robots, and Adventures, a Nerd Manual. Feel free to contact us on our website at dsrapodcast.com, where you can also check out our social media links to Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find today's producer, Kyle Willoughby, usually a host, at klex303 on Twitter. And you can find me, our usual producer, James at James Foey Jr. That's F-O-U-H-E-Y-J-R. And you can find me at Along With Claire. That's C-L-A-I-R-E. And you can learn more about Captain Marvel on our Facebook page. We'll post some links there to the articles that we used for our research. Today's producer is 
Kyle Willoughby, who I think we can say is a disappointing representation of himself. After all, you've heard about him, you know? Our logo is done by Patty Highland, who is, you know, like Captain Marvel, a, an amazing person who knows that they have a quick temper. You know, it, it's part of their character. You love them for it anyway. And our theme was composed by Pete Rowan, who has a look as charismatic and as interesting as Ben Mendelssohn's accent. Once again, this is Dragons, Sexy Robots, and Adventures, a Nerd Manual. Thanks for listening, and we will see you in two weeks with our D&D-linked episode. So exciting. We're probably too excited. <laughs> see you in two weeks.